The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God of life, we seek to be honorable people, people who live with integrity and love, people who give generously and receive graciously, people who honor one another. We know that our envy of another's honors can mar our own, but we have come to set that aside today and instead be grateful that we share a community overflowing with a variety of gifts. We are both proud and grateful today for the bright, thoughtful students whose academic work we honor, for their dedicated teachers and all others who support and care for them, and for the host of good people whose generosity and commitment help sustain the work of St. Olaf. Help each of us to use our gifts in honorable ways for the good of the world you call us to serve. Lead us with faith, hope, and love into the days and years ahead. Amen. Please remain standing to sing hymn 854.
Please be seated. Good morning. St. Olaf College dedicates the first Friday of May to recognizing the outstanding academic achievements of our community in a celebration we call Honors Day. Welcome to all of you who have come to be part of our festivities. I would like to extend a particular welcome to members of the St. Olaf College Board of Regents who are with us today. And I ask each of them to stand as I call their names. And I ask you to hold your applause until they're all standing. O.J. Thompson, Chair of the Board of Regents. Tad Piper, Vice Chair of the Board. Jerry Tostrud, past chair of the board. John Benson. Tom Bolt. Ruth Husted. Joe Ringer. And Larry Stranghainer. I now call upon the provost and esteemed dean of the college, James May, who will lead us in these proceedings. Jim. For St. Olaf College, this is a day set apart by the entire academic community to honor both members and friends of this community. In the first case, we honor our own students who have distinguished themselves among their peers for their academic accomplishments. Students from all four classes, from all disciplines, and from many places in the world have demonstrated their commitment to learning and excellence in their pursuit of knowledge. This is indeed a time for them and for all of us to celebrate their high achievement. And we do so with great joy and hearty congratulations, but also in a spirit of that well-known scriptural admonition, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. You who are honored today have used your talents to excel in manifold ways. We urge you never to forget to employ those same talents, not only to your own benefit, but to the benefit and in service to others. Secondly, we honor donors, graduates, and friends of the college who give generously of their time, talents, and resources to make possible the pursuit of learning and to help St. Olaf students continue their studies. And thirdly, we honor today our longtime friend and colleague, Professor Samiha Peterson, a model for all of us of what it means to be a dedicated student, teacher, and conscientious citizen of a community. For these lofty purposes then, we have marked this day and set aside this time on this occasion. Will the parents and family members of the students being honored today please rise? Let us thank and honor them for their sacrifice, their love, and their commitment.
Will the donors of scholarships and awards listed in the program please rise? Let us thank them for their generosity and good stewardship. We thank and honor those who challenge, nurture, provoke, mentor, and guide students to prepare them for lives of worth and service. No relationship is more important or more central than that between professor and student. Will the distinguished faculty of St. Olaf College please rise to be recognized? Now let us thank and honor our students, those who have exhibited high standards in their academic work. We will now recognize students who are the recipients of special honors and awards. Will the Rhodes Scholars, Nicole L. Novak and Ashana N. Rambashan, please stand. Will Goldwater Scholar Paul D. Nickel please stand to be recognized? <clears throat> Fulbright Scholars Lauren N. Kuntz and Alexandra N. Sprano please stand to be recognized. Will the NCAA Postgraduate Scholar David M. Swanson please stand? Will the recipient of the Gertrude M. Cox Award from the American Statistical Association, Brianna C. Hurst, please stand to be recognized? And will the 2008-2009 RAND Scholar, Paul A. Hamilton, please stand? Now I, I will invite all the members of Phi Beta Kappa to stand and be recognized. I will now read the name of various honor societies and ask those members to please stand and remain standing and hold your applause until all have been called. Anthropology, Lambda Alpha. Asian Studies, Epsilon Alpha Sigma. Biology, Beta Beta Beta. Chemistry, Phi Lambda Upsilon. Classics, Eta Sigma Phi. 
Economics, Omicron Delta Epsilon. French, Pi Delta Phi. History, Phi Alpha Theta. Leadership, Blue Key. Music, Pi Kappa Lambda. Nursing, Sigma Theta Tau. Physics, Sigma Pi Sigma. Political Science, Pi Sigma Alpha. Psychology, Psi Chi. Religion, Theta Alpha Kappa. Russian Language and Area Studies, Dobro Slovo. Service, Alpha Phi Omega. Sociology, Alpha Kappa Delta. Theater, Theta Alpha Phi. Will those students receiving general honors please stand by class as I read your class and remain standing until all have been recognized. The class of 2008, the class of 2009, the class of 2010, and the class of 2011, and finally special students, international students, and student teachers who have distinguished themselves. A large number of students listed in the program are the recipients of scholarships and awards provided by designated gifts to the college. Will all students here today who receive these named scholarships please rise and let us give thanks for all those in whose names they in rising honor. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you our honors speaker, Professor Samia Sidholm Peterson, a member of the St. Olaf community since 1972 and currently the Oscar and Gertrude Bow Overby Distinguished Professor of Anthropology and Sociology. Indeed, this is a special day for the Peterson family, for not only is Samia our honors day speaker, but her son, Ramsey, a St. Olaf alum, will later this afternoon graduate from the University of Minnesota Medical School. I met Samia soon after I arrived at the college in 1977, and it has been my good fortune to work closely with her over these subsequent decades in several important capacities. First, as a member of a small presidential task force commissioned to review the curriculum of the college, and then for six years as a fellow associate dean and member of Dean's Council. So it's safe to say 
that Samia and I have spent more time together in meetings glued to our chairs than is healthy or advisable for any normal human beings. <laughs> Anyone who has known Professor Peterson for any length of time knows what character, character traits I have been privileged to witness in Samia during those sessions. Indefatigable energy, a fierce and loyal love of her family and friends, a realistic but also buoyant sense of optimism, a roll-up-your-sleeves, can-do approach to solving problems, an instinctive impulse to help others in need, and a ready and spontaneous sense of humor, and a warm, welcoming, Mediterranean-style hospitality and affection toward her fellows. This beloved teacher, impressive professional, and loyal servant of the community, despite serving in manifold administrative roles, refuses to be mired in the minutiae of mundane matters. It's called alliteration. Her constant refrain at Dean's Council meetings that she refused to fret about the assignment of one fractional course while more important matters were pressing is a lesson that she impressed on all of her peers. Her continual exhortation for us to look beyond the narrow walls of St. Olaf College and of Northfield, Minnesota, reminded us constantly of the charge in our mission statement to take our view from a global rather than a parochial or regional perspective. Perhaps more than any other member of our community, Samia Peterson personifies what it means to incorporate a global perspective in her daily life. Indeed, a quick review of Samia's biography printed in your programs reveals a person who has literally lived out her life as a citizen of the world. At home, in two cultures, Professor Peterson has served not only at St. Olaf, but as a trusted advisor to presidents and ministers of education, literally crafting the future of education in her home country of Egypt. For all of these reasons, as this academic year now nears completion, I can think of no more fitting capstone to our two-year theme of global citizen and the liberal arts than that of hearing an address by one of St. Olaf's premier global citizens. Students, colleagues, friends of St. Olaf, please join me in welcoming to the podium my dear friend and colleague, Samia Peterson, who will speak to, to us today on the fitting topic, global citizenship, an imperative and an opportunity. technologically hooked. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you, even though it's rainy outside, it's bright here, so it's wonderful to be with all of you. President Anderson, Provost Jim May, parents, donors, emeriti faculty, colleagues, 
and guests, and of course, our distinguished students. Students, all of us are here today to recognize your achievements, both in terms of GPAs and other academic and non-academic awards and recognitions, and to share your joys and feelings of success. Over the years, I sat in the chairs which are presently occupied by my colleagues and often reviewed the names of honor students that are listed with the hope that I would be able to find a few who I know. Identifying some of you always gave me a sense of satisfaction and pride that our lives have met and you have continued your journey to success. At the outset, I want to thank Dr. Jim May for the privilege and honor that he has given me to address this audience. And he went a little bit overboard in terms of all the traits associated with me, but I'll forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> he promised to kind of embarrass me. Okay. With the campus theme of global citizenship, I opted to focus briefly on the topic through the lens of considering it as an imperative and an opportunity. Citizenship has often been associated with nation states, with privileges and responsibilities associated with membership that's identified within specific geographic boundaries. Expansion of this understanding has been provided in 1983 by a scholar named Benedict Anderson, who referred to nation states as imagined communities. Since most of its members, even those living in the smallest nation, will never know most of their fellow members, meet them, or even hear them. Yet in the minds of each lives the image of their communion. This implies that members hold in their minds a mental image of their affinity and use symbols of sovereignty as an integral part of their identity. With the ongoing changes in our world, some scholars are of the opinion that we are indeed living in a postmodern world with numerous traits which include a weaker nation state in context of centralized power, aggressive expansion of global capitalism, increasing technological dominance over lives with expanding control over production and promotion of consumerism, and liberationist social movements representing other forms of identity, such as race, religion, gender, environmentalism. Such dramatic changes compel us to take stock of our concepts of citizenship and consider how we fit within this changing world. While scholars and writers debate the concept of global citizenship, we find ourselves immersed in a global future that's filled with promise and escalating peril. Although science and technology have extended the lifespan, they have continued to explain the complexity of our physical environment, expanded communication, and improved standards of living for many, the world is becoming more divided and more vulnerable to new menaces with natural, uh, both natural and a result of human activity. Why is global citizenship an imperative? It is an imperative because our world has become increasingly interdependent and interconnected. I never cease to marvel at the information revolution with its impact on linking our world in, together in amazing ways. That in the solitude of our rooms, at any time of the day, or for that matter, of the night, we can get connected to others around the world. 
Moreover, we have become simultaneous witnesses of events and actions occurring in different parts of the world. It is an imperative because we are members of and live in a global village. In trying to analyze demographic traits of the global village, David Copeland, a surveyor and environmental activist, reflected on a village of 100. An analysis which was initially presented at the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio. Since then, this framework has been updated by numerous organizations and individuals. I will share with you the traits of this global village of 100 for your consideration with the hope that it would clarify our role in this village of 100 people. The village would consist of 60 Asians, 14 Africans, 12 Europeans, 8 Latin Americans, 5 North Americans, um, uh, United States citizens and Canadians, and one from the South Pacific. 51 would be male, 49 would be female, 82 would be non-white, 18 would be white, 67 would be non-Christian, 33 would be Christian, 80 would live in substandard housing, 67 would be unable to read, 50 would be malnourished and one dying of starvation, 33 would be without access to improved sanitation, 24 would not have any electricity, and of the 76 that do have electricity, most would use it only for light at night. Seven people would have access to the internet. One would have a college degree. One would have HIV AIDS. Two would be near birth, one near death. Five would control 32% of the entire world's health. And 33 would be receiving and attempting to live on only 3% of the income of the whole village. Global citizenship is an imperative because the social, economic, health, education, knowledge, and natural resource gaps that are present in our world are divisive and create global tensions that are threatening our common humanity. Many of us gathered here today represent the wealthy, the privileged, and the powerful in the world, but we are indeed a minority in this global village. It is an imperative because members of the global village as represented by the United Nations structures, agencies, and processes have identified norms and standards to protect human rights in context of various dimensions of our humanity, including children, refugees, women, people in conflict, issues of citizenship. And they wanted to ensure that a common global consensus develops for resolving global problems. It is an imperative because the rapidly changing world changes our concept of identity and compels us to consider, to reconsider who we are and what citizenship implies. In a 2006 United Nations lecture series, Dr. Amar Tyson, philosopher and 1998 Nobel laureate in economics, whose work includes his book Identity and Violence, the illusion of destiny, describe the endless corridors through which a single human identity wander, wanders. And I quote, at the same moment, one can be a United States citizen of Asian background, of Indo-Chinese origin, with Vietnamese ancestry, a Christian, a liberal, 
a woman, a vegetarian, a theater lover, an environmental activist, a jazz musician, and so on, with links all over the globe. Each categorization aligns a person with some fellow human being and creates distance from others. But taken as a whole, the multifaceted understanding of one's identity can bridge the gaps that divide us and create networks of understanding, learning from those different from us, and can lend insight into the aspects of humanity that transcends categorization. It is an imperative because global challenges will necessitate mobilizing our best know-how for confronting them. This know-how, however, will need to be sensitive to the rich traditions, cultures, and values, and religions of our global partners. It is an imperative because while we live in our local communities, we are influenced by our global world. The theme of living locally and thinking globally has been affirmed by the Rio Earth Charter, which states in its preamble, we are citizens of different nations and of one world in which the global and the local are linked. Therefore, Afghanistan's, Argentina's, Tanzania's, and Iraq's problems are our problems. We need to be involved in learning about and understanding the other, empathize with their perspectives, and work towards building the institutions, ideas, technologies that will bring about adaptive solutions. While I do not intend to present a litany of challenges, I would like to highlight some of the dimensions associated with global poverty and justice as an example of the complexity and multidimensional components of global challenge. In the year 2000, the, at the Millennium Summit, world leaders took stock of the many initiatives and promises that they had made in previous decades. They came to the conclusion that the world was not doing enough to address the problems of global inequality. Moreover, they realized that in dramatic contrast to earlier eras, they could mobilize the resources and utilize new know-how in resolving them. With new determination, 189 nation-states, rich and poor, joined together at the United Nations Millennium Summit to formulate eight Millennium Development Goals, much, most of which were to be achieved by the year 2015. These goals aim to provide a roadmap for ending poverty. More specifically, I'll just identify some of the highlights of the goals, which include eradicating extreme poverty and hunger, achieving universal primary education, promoting gender equality, reducing child mortality, improving maternal health, combating HIV-AIDS, ensuring environmental sustainability, including safe drinking water, developing a global, uh, global partnership for development. The success of this global compact to end poverty with its multi-dimensions depended on support from nation states around the world. Jeffrey Sachs, an internationally recognized expert on economic and sustainable development, projected that a global commitment of 175 billion a year, just seven-tenths of one percent of wealthy nations' output could have a significant impact on eliminating the impact of poverty. However, the April 2008 
Organization for Economic Development report states that most donors are not on track to meet their commitments and will need to make unprecedented increasings to meet their targets. A September 2008 United Nations meeting in New York will provide another opportunity for reconsidering input towards meeting the goals of the identified challenge of eliminating poverty and inequality. An opportunity to make a difference. The ancient roots of global citizenship as a definition of self has been associated with Socrates, much to the pleasure of Jim May, who in speaking about himself said, I am neither an Athenian nor a Greek. I am a citizen of the world. A sentiment that was later expressed by Diogenes the Cynic who stated, I'm a citizen of the world. These expressions have been considered as, tra as traits also of the Stoics of ancient Greece and Rome who had pledged their primary allegiance to the universal ideals of justice and honor over their allegiance to the polis or city-states. Sure, the scope of the ancient world was much more limited than it is today, yet the perception of the self as a global citizen continues to be inspiring. All of us gathered here today are living at a stage in our global civilization when we cannot opt for global citizenship. We can either take it for granted and benefit from all the possibilities it provides, such as traveling, having access to information, being interconnected, or intentionally choose to take responsibility and participate in it as reflective and active members. In spite of what appears to be overwhelming global challenges, our world has witnessed the development of initiatives that have gone beyond the feelings of despair and with programs that have made a difference in the life of others. Initiatives include the work of thousands of NGOs and thousands of global citizens who are dedicated to build a better world. And such people include volunteers working in dangerous situations of global need, def defenders of endangered forests, full-time peace activists, professional medical personnel, teachers, administrators, bankers, and lawyers who use their expertise to serve others. Organizations and individuals immersed in a global agenda often provide us with diverse models and examples of the ongoing creativity of humans. The following are a few examples for our, considera our consideration. International organizations since the 1880s provide us with an example of the efforts of nations responding to various challenges, including settling crises peacefully and preventing wars. These have included the first International Peace Conference held in The Hague in 1899 and the League of Nations established in 1919 under the Treaty of Versailles to promote international cooperation and to achieve peace and stability. The United Nations since 1945 has represented another global collective effort for addressing diverse human challenges. Thus, its initial 1948 Declaration of Human Rights and its extensive declarations and conventions, including the 1961 Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination, uh, Racial Discrimination, the 1979 Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, the 1990 Convention on the Rights of the Child, the 2006 Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, are examples that have identified global norms and standards which consequently resulted in major changes around the world, 
including the birth of numerous specialized agencies and hundreds of NGOs working transnationally. The global deliberations and actions through such organizations have often brought about a positive impact on societies, communities, and individuals. Doctors Without Borders represents a medical humanitarian organization that provides aid to people affected by armed conflict, epidemics, natural or man-made disasters, or exclusion from healthcare in nearly 60 countries. Their activities involve 4,708 assignments per year for doctors, nurses, logisticians, water and sanitation experts, administrators, and other medical and non-medical professionals who partner with over 20,000 locally hired staff to provide medical care for vulnerable and marginalized individuals. The Carter Center, led by former President Carter and Mrs. Rosalind Carter, represents an organization that aims at creating a world in which every woman, man, and child has the opportunity to enjoy good health and live in peace. Activities of the center have included strengthening democracies, helping farmers in Africa and Asia increase their productivity, preventing international and civil conflict, intervening to prevent unnecessary disease, including eradication of the Guinea worm in Africa, and diminishing the stigma against mental illness. Examples on an individual level include Dr. Muhammad Yunus, the Bangladeshi Nobel Prize winner, often referred to as the world's banker to the poor, who has worked to prove that the poor are creditworthy. Utilizing his training and knowledge, he developed what's called the Grameen Banking System that has extended credit to the poorest of the poor, mainly women, and has provided a model that's now replicated in many developing countries. Dr. Paul Farmer, a medical anthropologist and physician who dedicated his life to treating the world's poorest populations through focusing on new community-based treatment strategies for infectious diseases in resource-poor settings. His work also included founding and directing Partners in Health, an organization involved with research, advocacy, and challenges to policymakers on behalf of those who are physically disabled. These are just a few examples. The list can easily be extended to include numerous organizations and individuals that have been immersed in enhancing the lives of others. It's interesting to note that initiatives and efforts utilize all areas of knowledge, which is always refreshing to think of in context of the diverse areas of expertise which we are constantly encountering. The reality of our global citizenship provides us with an opportunity to make a difference. The search for meaning and direction, while a collective one, is often influenced by sociocultural and historic dynamics, but consequently results in an individual exploration and commitment. As a young teenager, once upon a time, I was impressed by the life of Doug Hammerschild, the second Secretary General of the United Nations, who died in a plane crash in 1961, en route to negotiate a ceasefire in northern Rhodesia, now Zambia. His thoughts expressed in his, diary, in his diary titled Markings have had an impact on many who have read it. He expressed his search in a 1952 entry which says, pray that your loneliness may spur you to find something to live for, great enough to die for. A statement like this one 
represents the reflective process through which even those who are in the most powerful positions struggle with in terms of meaning and clarity of purpose. Students, you are dancers, you're artists, you're musicians, social and physical scientists, educators, nurses, literature, religion, and language majors. You will be liberal arts graduates. We congratulate you for your achievements. You are the, among the fortunate, one out of a hundred in our global village, who have access to higher education, a critical medium for enhancing your knowledge, competencies, and skills, considered by many to be the capital of the 21st century. There's an Arabic proverb that says, one hand cannot clap. My colleagues, staff members, who are facilitating your life on campus have extended their hands to you, and they have shared the best of their expertise and know-how. And you, who have been supported by your families, friends, and all the significant people in your lives, have responded. You have reached out to clap and made a loud noise. You have met the academic challenges and succeeded. I hope that you will continue your life's journey as you straddle your local realities and with their global implications. May your reflective selves help you move towards using your knowledge as a medium for being agents for serving other global citizens rather than becoming champions of lost opportunities. Once again, congratulations. May you find the niche that will compel you to make a difference in our interconnected world. Thank you. Thank you, Samia, for a learned and inspiring address. Students we are honoring today, congratulations on your achievement. Well done. All of you in the room today who, through your gifts to the college, have provided scholarship support for a student, please accept my heartfelt gratitude. There aren't many investments that produce the direct and inspiring result that you see before you today. I would like to observe that the semester is not over. <laughs> the learning continues. In particular, St. Olaf hosts this afternoon a science symposium. This year's topic is Living in Our Toxic World and the opening plenary session, Linking Pesticides and Health Effects, begins at 2 p.m. in Science Center 280. I encourage each of you to attend. I remind you that student posters displaying their scholarship are on display in the crossroads of Bantrock Common all day today. 
and I encourage you to stop by, see the posters, and speak with the investigators about their work. All of the events related to the symposium are free, and the public is invited and welcome. At this time, I'd ask everyone to stand for the singing of From From and to receive the benediction. Following the benediction, I'd ask you to remain in your places until the platform party has recessed. Thank you.